this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel according to John. Uh, the Gospel according to John. And we're going to be in chapter 1. And just really two verses th- this Sunday. Uh, two verses here. 1, 1 and 2. Now, if you've ever read John, which I hope you have, uh, it is a powerful, powerful book. There's really, uh, there's really no book... You know, I say this all the time, uh, and, I, and I don't want to sound trite, but there's no, there's no book like this one. Um, and this is such a needed book that uh, it's a very powerful book. It's, it's so powerful that many scholars over the years have not been able to believe that John actually wrote it because it's so, so deep and theological. And yet we do believe that, the, that John wrote it, John the Revelator, John the Beloved. There's enough evidence, and the, the scholars have been proven wrong. And, uh, and, and it was primarily because of a discovery found in Egypt, of all places. And, uh, and so, actually the oldest piece of the New Testament we have is from the Gospel of John. It dates to about 120 or 110, uh, which, is, which is insane. If you know anything about archaeology and biblical studies, that's, that's just unheard of. You don't have any manuscripts that are that old, but you do have John, and he's that old. And he was already translated in Egypt already transmitted to Egypt. Uh, so John is just this very unique book. If you know also the Gospels, remember, you've got the three synoptic or similar Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which have a very similar plan and plot and in kind of the way things unfold in Jesus' life. There are some differences, but for the most part, they are very similar to each other. John is not. He's not following the same plot line. He's, he's taken a much more theological, weighty approach, which is why I've always kind of been confused when people say, you know, I've heard this advice a lot in the church, and that is, you know, hey, if you just got saved, you know, what, what book should I start reading? And people always suggest John. Um, that's great, but John is like one of the most theological and difficult books to understand of the Gospels. Uh, I actually suggest Mark to start off with just because he's short and quick and to the point. John is extremely theological. And you're going to hear some of that over the next few weeks as we look at chapter 1 of John during Advent. We want to begin here with just really two verses. And, and this is the key is two verses can bog you down. You can spend two verses a long time here. Uh, so notice, notice uh, John 1, and let's just begin reading with the first two verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let us pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. It is living because Your Spirit is living in us, in this room, right now in this space. And so Lord, we pray that You would enliven these words to us this morning and to our soul. We need a touch that the physical world cannot give us this morning, but that only You, the Spirit, can give. And so we pray that You would do that this morning by Your Word. In Your name we pray. Amen. In the hustle and bustle of this season, you know, already seen in traffic jams, already seen in shopping sprees, and I saw some video coming out, which is just crazy. You know, this woman holding on to a 
to a television and being slung around by another lady and cops coming in, tearing them apart. And she's, you know, she's being, I promise she was literally slammed on the ground by two cops and she's still holding on to the TV. It's mine! It's mine! You know, I'm like, wow. That's a striking video for a television when you're saving maybe tops $100, you know. Is that really worth $100 to go to jail and be on, put on YouTube and go viral? I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, to me, no. You know, what, what is this all about? You know, this, this, you know, we got, I mean, the commercials are cranked up. You know, it's all about what we don't have. What we need that we don't have. Um, and yet, you know, Advent kind of in a contrasting way is saying, you know what, we already have something, but we've forgotten about it. Now, have you ever, you ever had this happen? Uh, you know, you, you pull out a jacket from last season, you've not worn it, and you're like, huh, 20 bucks, that is awesome, I found 20 bucks in my pocket, you know, let me go blow it. Uh, you, know, it's, you know, there's always a pleasant surprise when we have forgotten about something that was there all along, and yet to reintroduce it to our life is a good thing. This is what Advent is doing. Again, the term Advent comes from Latin and really just simply means the coming. Adventus, coming. So when we talk about God's first Advent and second, we're talking about the first coming, which is celebrating His uh, coming through Mary uh, by the Holy Spirit and His life here on earth. Uh, the second coming is the end, what we've been talking about for the past few Sundays, which is the day of the Lord, which is that what Jesus was in our reading this morning even, what He was saying about when I come the second time, it's not going to be like a lamb, but a lion. He's coming to judge. It's the day of the Lord. You know, the, the whole um, prophecy of the, blood, uh, the, the moon turning to blood and all this sort of thing, which people have tried to say recently, but just discard that, that this is actually, it's all coming down to the end. All right, That's what Jesus means, is this is the end. Um, so that's his second coming. During this time, we want to actually slow down instead of speed up. We actually want to stop instead of go and take inventory of what has happened. For whatever reason, you'll know this, we as humans tend to forget. This is why we mark certain days on our calendar to remember. You know, May 29 is one of those days that I need to remember. It is my anniversary. And we have to have those days where we pull back and say, okay, you know, Jessica and I will say, all right, this is not an ordinary day. And the reason it's not is because something very special happened on this day that we do not need to forget. And so, you know, our 10-year, we're spending a little more money than we, a lot more money than we normally would on a meal. And, you know, Jessica says, I'm saying, well, why are we doing this? Because... I ask that question in everything I do. You know, why am I doing this? Why do we have to use signals? Why do we have to stop? Why do we have everything from driving to eating? To, I ask questions. It's just my nature. And so I'm asking myself, okay, and then, so part of our conversation that night on our 10-year anniversary was why we need to blow more money on this night than we do other nights. And it's because this is not an ordinary day. This is a special day. The Jews did this all the time, did they not? There were certain days of the year. Now, we hear about it more with Muslims, but we should be hearing about Christians. We're having a feast day. This is celebratory. This is what the Jews would have done. They would have had you know, Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles, First Fruits, you know, Passover. All these times were times of both fasting and feasting. And there was, this, there was this ebb and flow to their life. In other words, they had a calendar laid out with certain holy days. Now, 
our term, and people get bent out of shape over this, and there's just a simple remedy, is to understand the etymology of the term, happy holidays. It's not evil to say happy holidays. Uh, that's not an evil thing. Um, however, when you're trying to avoid the fact that a holiday is a holy day, look up the word. You know, somebody says to you, happy holidays. I say, well, what holiday? Because it's Christmas. That's the holiday. It's Christ's Mass. Again, breaking down that word, you have two words smashed together. Christ, Mass, which is taking of the Eucharist, taking of communion. This is where the term comes from. It's actually a huge celebration on Christmas Day in the Catholic Church. You can watch it on television. The Pope himself will give the communion at at St. Peter's Basilica. And this is Christ's Mass. This is Christ must. Christmas. So, this is a holy day. This is a day where we are saying, you know what? Our calendar is not going to be determined by the schools. It's not going to be determined by the government. It's not going to be determined by the secular world and, you know, consumerism. Instead, our calendar is going to be marked with holy days unto God. That trumps any other kind of celebration. Um, and this is important. This is very important. Many people go through life and they simply are on the ebb and flow of someone else. They do not direct their life. There is no order to their seasons. And this is why I, you know, I strongly suggest as a family to lay out over the next year what season of the church we are actually in. I remind you every single Sunday when I get up here, hey, we're in the season of Pentecost still, which is the longest one. We just got out of that one, right? Now we're in Advent. Advent is the beginning. Advent is the beginning of the church year. Then we go on to Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. So you've got this flow of holy days, flow of seasons that we are supposed to remind ourselves of while we're doing this. Now, there's always this age-old discussion, you know, well, did the pagans come up with this holiday of Easter? Did they come up with the, you know, with the bunnies and with the eggs? Or did the pagans come up with this holiday of Christmas, you know, with all the you know, greenery and, you know, Santa Claus, all this kind of... You know, who, who was first? Was it Christians who instituted this? Or was it... The, if you go back historically, what you're going to find is that for whatever reason, during seasonal change, both the pagans and the Jews both the pagans and the Christians or the secularist and modern Christianity have always celebrated that seasonal change. They celebrate it in different ways. And this is what makes Christianity different. So it's not so much... I mean, there's always a little borrowing on both ends. But here's what I believe is that God uses all kinds of things, including pagan thought. In other words, you can be completely secularist, don't care about God, atheistic, whatever, and yet... In order to tell a good story, you're going to have to talk about sacrificial love. Well, that sacrificial love, guess what? It points to God. So this season points to God. There are certain things about Santa Claus that point to God. Actually, off of St. Nicholas, who is an actual saint in the church that you can actually go back and read about who gave gifts to poor people. Now, most of our giving is rich on rich, but you understand that we can do this whole rich to poor thing uh, if we want to, which is what our manger offering is set up for and designed for is to you to give above and beyond instead of just giving uh, to get back or giving to because you feel bad or whatnot. So what I'm saying about Advent and what I'm saying about what John is saying here is he is reminding us 
of who Jesus is, of what we are supposed to be doing during this season. And for my own life, for my own family, we need that reminder. You know, as, as the world comes flooding in, as we start feeling like, oh boy, I gotta do this and I have to do that, and you know, it's just protocol to do this. I want to say to you, I want to challenge you to pull back and say, you know what? This season, I want to make it really about Jesus. And I want to ask you to help me do that. Now, look, it doesn't mean you don't have to give gifts. It doesn't mean you have to ask Santa Claus. Okay? It doesn't mean those things. But you've got to be intentional about loving, about giving, about being joyous. I mean, one of the best things you can do is let somebody cut in line in front of you on purpose. Hey, why don't you go out? I mean, how shocking would that be in a Black Friday situation? Uh, unheard of, right? And yet, that's the kind of stuff Jesus calls us to, isn't it? To do things that are unexpected. Isn't this what He did? He slipped into our world on a silent night. He wasn't in the newspapers the next morning. He wasn't streaming across the bottom of Fox News or CNN the next day saying, the Savior is born, God has come. No, He slipped in our world and He unexpectedly blessed us with the greatest gift of all. And here we are with the golden key and we don't know what to do with it. That's our dilemma. We have the $20 in our coat in a different room, locked up, and we don't even know it. It's there. The gift has always been there. The question is, are we going to find it? You see, this is all the past. Jesus has already came and lived and died and rose. And He's living now at the Father's right hand in His actual physical body. And yet He's present everywhere by the Spirit. And so we look back during Advent, but we also experience Jesus now. Just like that lost $20 that we didn't know we had, it is actually there. He is here. Even if you can't see or know or feel or experience Him, He is here. And we must, our job in this is to find Him during this season. To Isn't this what He encourages us to do? Seek Him? We must seek Him. We must purposefully stop, just like we're doing right now today, and say, okay, why are we doing this? What is all this decoration for? What is all the hassle of decorating and dressing up and going to these things and giving these gifts? and spend? Why do we do this? And if you can't plug it into something meaningful, then I, you know, why do it? Why even do it? Get down to what is real. Get down to what is meaningful. And what you're going to find is exactly what John is talking about here. Notice that John gives us the reason he wrote this gospel. And it's very clear. Notice these words in, in it's John 20 and 30 and 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs, as after he's already talked about seven in particular, uh, in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John tells us very specifically, I wrote this entire gospel so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing in Jesus, who is the Son of God, that you might have life in His name. 
which is why we believe as Christians that there is only life in that one name, Jesus. In that one person, Jesus. In that one act of Jesus. Coming, living, dying, rising. That's the four movements of His life. He came, He lived, He died, He rose. Another nice way to remember what it is we believe about Jesus Christ. During Advent, we celebrate, we remember, we remind each other of His coming. And it may not look like a kingly coming, did it? Not the first time. But He's no ordinary king. He's a king that identifies with His people. Notice these words from John again. This, you know, I don't know how much philosophy you've ever studied, but these two verses right here are some of the highest philosophy that has ever been penned by anyone in all of the world. And that's not some, oh, well, you're just Christian bias. You know, you've not really read uh, Heraclitus and Aristotle. I'm telling you that these are some of the highest words ever spoken. Listen to them very carefully again. In the beginning was the Word. Now, what is John doing there? Very simply, he's connecting us to Genesis. That's, I mean, you know, this is a new beginning is what he's saying. Something has happened in the world that creates a new beginning. And, of course, this is the Word, who we're going to talk about in just a second. So, he immediately reaches back to the Old Testament, just like the New Testament writers always do. They never are disconnected from the Old Testament. If you think that there's something in the New Testament that goes against the Old Testament, then you're just simply reading it wrong. You need to go back and read it and study it more. Um, because, and look, I'm telling myself that, because sometimes I'm thinking, law, I don't... Boys, no, that's my fault. I'm not able to connect it. So I've got to do more groundwork. I've got to do more study, because there is no disconnect here. This is... The same God who is in the beginning is the same God who is the Word. So in the beginning was the Word. Now this term Word here, if you look behind the uh, English translation, you're going to find this term, and you're probably familiar with it, Logos, L-O-G-O-S. It is a philosophical term. This is used by all, all the ancient philosophers would have mentioned this term. You know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates... All those guys, I always remember them because SPA, S-P-A, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. That's the order they came in, SPA, whatever. Um, they mention this because they all are searching for unity. Now, this is, this is just, this is fascinating. And look, this is not something you say, oh, well, Marshall, you're about to go into something that's convoluted and esoteric and you know, just way out of the range of the, of the Bible that has no base. John was very aware of this term, Lagos. It was a term that was used by the Gnostics of his own day, which was a different religion than Christianity that tried to mock Christianity, much like uh, Jehovah's Witness or much like the Mormon church would try to do today. And so they tried to be the same under the umbrella of Christian, but yet they were not. They were Gnostics. And John is actually writing against that kind of philosophy. And so this term logos actually means the ground of all being, the principle of life, It's really, if you want to sum it up, it is the divine mind. Now, you say, well, ho-hum, why is that important to me? I mean, here I am, you know, third millennium. What what does that mean? It means everything to you. Just because you may not understand how something connects to your life doesn't mean it doesn't connect to your life. You say, well, I don't understand electricity. Okay, well, 
you don't understand it, but that doesn't mean you don't use it. That doesn't mean you don't need it. So, if you get in a situation where something electrical is wrong in your house, you're going to need to know a little bit about electricity. You're going to know that you don't need to plug a uh, wrench or a, a screwdriver into the plug. You know, you're not going to fare very well on that one. Um, you need to know some basic things. So I'm not asking you to go read philosophy, but I'm asking you to understand some very basic things about this term, the Word. Now this is one of the more famous passages in the Bible, as you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I mean, that's, that's probably one of the most quoted also. And this term, you, here's something really interesting. You cannot do philosophical thinking without unity. Even Hinduism with 300 and plus million gods in their philosophical writings, which is called the Upanishads, they actually have to go with unity. That means that all 350 million of their gods and different names and all that kind of stuff is really one in Brahma. Alright, that's a little lesson in Hinduism to point to the fact that even when they write philosophy, they have to do it searching for the unity behind everything. This is what all the philosophies of the world try to do is find the unity behind everything. And, and they all agree on this one fact, and that is the unity behind everything is not physical. It's not material. Whatever started this whole thing, is what the, the unmoved mover as they call him sometimes, or call it, uh, even Brahma is an it, not a personal God, is separate from the physical world. In other words, they downplay the material world. And that's exactly what John is addressing here. He's saying that the Word, the divine mind, the thing that is not material, has become material. Now, that may mean, again, nothing to some of you, but that is so life-changing and ground-changing at a, at, a, at a ground level even that it changes everything. That means that He affirms our body. So unlike Hindus... We don't have to look at our body as evil. We don't have to think that we have to live multiple, multiple lives in order to get out of our body and that is salvation. No. We believe in the resurrection. that the Not reincarnation, but resurrection. In other words, we get our body for eternity. That's unheard of in world religions. The body is always bad. The body is always evil. Sex is always something that brings us down. Not in the Bible. Again, Christianity is one of the more material religions in all of the world. It actually affirms the material world. Why? Because of this verse right here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What what Paul will say is this. Everything was created through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. So in the beginning, God already had in mind what He was going to do. How He was going to send His Son. And we are created in that image in order to relate to God. Say, okay, well, you know, you've taken us up here, bring it down. What it means for us is salvation. Without it, without what God has done here, we don't have salvation. He has come to rescue us. Notice our uh, song this morning. He has come for us, this Jesus. In other words, this Jesus, this actual historical person, Jesus. By the way, sometimes we get caught up, you know, 
in, in such a world that is so antagonistic toward the name Jesus? I mean, just try this sometime. You're at work and you say, yeah, I was talking to Jesus the other day. And that's a showstopper. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was talking to Je- the people. Goes, I'm, I'm sorry, what? What do you mean you were talking to Jesus the other day? Uh, that, you know, you want to make people uncomfortable? Just introduce Jesus. You know, how, do you feel, how do you feel about Jesus? Why do you care about how I feel about Jesus? That's going to be your typical response. Why? Why? You ask somebody about Buddha and they've got all kinds of ideas. They're very comfortable with that. Confucius, very comfortable with that. What's so uncomfortable about Jesus? No one disputes that He lived. No one. Well, I say no one. There's crazy people out in the world, you realize. No one of rapport actually believes that Jesus never lived. So don't, don't, in your own personal faith, don't ever think, you know what, this whole thing with believing in Jesus, it's just so far... No, it's not. We know that a man, Jesus, lived in the first century. Amen. You actually, you can always go this route with people too. You actually date your birthday to Him. To His birthday. 1,981 years after Jesus. was when I was born. So, why is He so uncomfortable? Why is His word used as a curse word? No one ever goes around saying, Brahma, when they stub their toe. You know, Shiva! Nobody says that. It's Jesus Christ. Why is His Word cursed? Um, why is it so you know, taboo to bring Him up at the dinner table? At a nice dinner. Um, you know, if you want to stop a conversation, just introduce Jesus to some people. And that can do it in our secular world. It can do it. Why? Because He's actually still around. He's not in a grave, dead, and can't hear. He's right here. And I think people in here really know that. And it makes them very uncomfortable for you to bring Him up. And yet, this is what we do during Advent. We bring Jesus up to ourself and say, Self, remember that He's the reason for the season. Not all this other stuff. I mean, we can get look. We can get so carried away, so quickly following the herd, that we forget to stop and remember what God has done. He's done something so unbelievable that I still don't understand it. I've been studying it for years. Not that I'm the smartest, uh, you know, guy in the room or the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you know, I've given quite a bit of time to this, even this passage here, and I still come to this and I read it and I think, wow, this is some serious stuff. I mean, even after the day, I have to go back and be like, you know, get my dictionary out. Okay, what does Noel mean? You know, what does Hosanna mean? What is all the, you know, I always want to make sure I understand these terms that are being used. What it is we're doing. We have to remind ourselves. It's why we remember 9-11. It's why we remember people's birthday. It's why we remember our anniversaries. It's because we tend to forget. John is, has given us something in this book to help us remember the one name that can save us and what He has done for us. There's really two ways to, to kind of talk about Jesus. That is, who He is and what He's done. This Sunday, we're talking about the eternal Lagos Word. The eternal Word of God. In other words, Jesus does not just show up at the first century 
2014 years ago. Instead, the Son of God has always existed. And that's why we talk about Him as the eternal or the eternally begotten Son of God. Yes, He is begotten of the Father, but never in an age. Instead, eternally. That has never not happened. (laughs) Again, you know, you talk about blowing a fuse in the brain. The stuff we're talking about, and this is why I'm always fascinated by Advent. We sing these songs, and it's almost like we just kind of breeze through them. They're some of the deepest, most difficult doctrines in all of the world, of any world religion. No one goes this deep and yet can be so true, except for Christianity. (laughs) I mean, this Jesus that has come to rescue us is quite a fellow. He's not just interesting. He's the most most interesting man in the world. It's Him. And He never ceases to amaze us. We will never be finished with Him and able to put Him up on a shelf. We're done with that. And and to me, that's the beauty of it though. We can dive into who He is and what He's done and still just be scratching the surface. It's like our personal relationships with your wife with your brother, with your family, your mother and father. These are very complex, and yet they're also very basic. We need to know them. We need to love them. It's very simple, and yet very hard sometimes to do. In the beginning was the Word, that eternal, divine Word. So what John is doing is using a secular term, and he's saying, you know what? That's speaking about Jesus. He's using a philosophical word, bringing it in and saying, that's talking about Jesus. Again, if you're going to tell a good story, then you're going to have a couple of of things in the story that are going to make it fascinating. That is prophecy. I mean, just think back to all the good shows. There's always some prophecy of one that will come that will save the day one day. And there's this expectation. There's this hope where there would be no hope. Now there's hope. Well, the same thing happens with Jesus, isn't it? There's this great expectation And this is the candle that we lit today is we are expecting a Messiah to come and He comes. He actually comes. Not in the way that they understood Him to come. They rejected His first coming um, because it wasn't what they thought. They wanted, again, a military general. They got a servant. A giving servant. But you know what? That changed the world. Gandhi picked up on this, didn't he? Caused a revolution in India to shake off the British government. All nonviolence. Why? Because he read the teachings of Jesus. He said he loved the teachings of Jesus. He tried to follow the teachings of Jesus. He just said he could not stomach the followers of Jesus. That's where we come in. It's our job to represent Jesus in this world. To be His presence in the world. And when we don't, it sends people to hell. It's just that's that's the you know nicest way I can say it. Now you say, well, are you saying that I have blood on my hands? I don't know. Uh, I'm not you, but I know that I have had circumstances where I knew I was to be a witness and I did not do it, and I feel like um, that's on me. I don't want that to happen again. God can sometimes, by the Spirit, prompt us, and I and, you know there's no better time to talk about Jesus, to talk about giving to Him, to talk about what God has given to us than Christmas. 
than the Christmas time, than this Advent season. And a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people need true hope. And we have it. We have the golden key. And yet we sit on it. We forget it. We lose it. We put it away. We lock it in a closet. We keep our faith personal. And and this is not what He has called us to. It's not what He's called us to. I would encourage you this season to, to give to someone in such a way that it makes an impact for Jesus on them. This is the time to not make it awkward. You know, gifts are normal. Give it, but intentionally give yourself, give your witness. This is what will impact people. This is what God has done, isn't it? He didn't come with a big red sack and just give a bunch of gifts out when He came. That's what the Jews were thinking. They thought He was going to give them a king. Restore the temple. You know, put Israel back at the top of the pedestal. Destroy Rome. That, they thought He had a big bag of goodies. Instead, He gave Himself. Just as I was telling the children a minute ago, when somebody gives you their self, doesn't that mean more than just a gift? I mean, I know my pappy gave me a lot of gifts over the years when I was a kid. I don't have them and I don't remember them. But you know what I do remember? Him. I remember Him. I remember how He made me feel when I was around Him. How confident He was in His faith. How much He loved my Meemaw and our family. His caring heart. That's the kind of stuff I remember not the petty gifts, the breakable gifts. So what matters? What really matters is personal presence. Isn't it? Personal presence. The Word. The One who is behind everything. The great, you know, like, like the, uh, the, the Native Americans used to say, you know, the great one beyond the sky. That started it all. Everybody in the pagan world, everybody in every other religion believes that you can't know the one who started it all. That he's too far distant. He, he, he's removed himself from the world. That's what all of them believe. I know I teach world religions. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. We have a different message. Our message, the one who started it, actually became part of it. That's unheard of. No God would do that. It would not be any longer a divine God if He did that. Except for this one did. Jesus. This Jesus did just that. It's mind-blowing. And it's salvation. He is who saves us. Not an idea. Not believing in something far and distant. Believing in a person. Personal presence. He came Himself. No, what it, you know, Isaiah again, there is no salvation other than His hand, by His hand. And He extends His hand to us, His right hand, His strong hand, who is Jesus. And He lifts His name high as the only name by whom people will be saved. By us who will be saved. And so the Word was with God and the Word was God. This eternal Son who comes, this baby that is in Mary's lap, is the one who has always existed. And yet, at a particular time, 2014 years ago, He took on flesh in Mary, an actual lady, 
of the human race by the Holy Spirit placed within Mary, gestated, and then birthed. You see, human life does not start when you take your first breath of air. It didn't for Jesus. It did not for the Son. What do we say in the Apostles' Creed? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is a very particular term to use there because conception is when life begins according to the Scriptures. And you can bank on that one. Um, Because Jesus was fully human and His life as a human began when He was conceived in Mary. He went through the gestation process of actually being nine months in a woman. This is God! Is anybody with me yet? This is the eternal, divine, all-knowing, all-encompassing, everywhere present, all-powerful God. And He becomes a fetus, a baby in the womb, and then is born of woman. Just as all of you were. He has that in common with all of us. He came as any human comes, and that is through the birthing process. And doesn't that go brought back to Genesis 2? Well, really, 3. I meant Genesis T-O, not Genesis 2. But in Genesis 3, don't you remember the promise? Through the woman will come one who will save. This is the promise. And it begins in Genesis 3 when he actually curses the birthing process and makes it painful. He also gives a promise within that that through that birthing process, God is going to save the world. And this is what we celebrate. I mean, that is just... Every time I come to Advent, every single year, I'm just blown away again. And so this is what we celebrate as Christians. This is the message that saves. (laughs) He talking about the Word. Now notice, John does not just say Word again here. He says He. He goes personal. He was in the beginning with God. Who's He talking about? Jesus. Jesus. So, today, in conclusion, what are we doing here? We're reminding ourselves of what God has done in Jesus. We know Jesus lived The question for us is today, was He just a man like everybody else? Or was He the eternal Logos, the eternal Word of God, made man? So, the question is, is Jesus just a man? Or is He the God-man? Son of God, Son of Man. That is the most important question you'll ever ask answer in your life. More than who you marry, more than where you live, more than what your job is. That question, as we said last week, will determine your final destination. What you do with Jesus is the most important thing you'll ever do. So what are you going to do with Him? Is He locked away in the pocket? Is He still in the closet and you just don't know it? He's already done the work. All you have to do is seek, ask, knock, and the door will be opened. Are you willing to do that this season? It starts now with worship.
worship the Son, the eternal Son who took on humanity for us. Became our brother when He did that. Became our advocate, our mediator. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen.